Welcome to Altered State of Affairs, the podcast with Gerald Kazimov, produced by the team at CasSource and part of the CasSource Podcast Network. Altered State of Affairs, the novel also by Gerald Kazimov, is available at your favorite bookstore, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble Online, and most local and indie bookstores. There was a line in this chapter 38. It says, Stevie boy, got you covered. Relax your bones. She seems to say. I want to focus on that line. She seems to say. What got you to the point to write a book where you're talking about this eyeless doll? And this is probably one of the first times the doll comes out and says, she seems to say. So Stephen's seen something. He doesn't know really what he's saying yeah, yet. It's like wild. I know this doll, Cindy. I know her. She's been with me for a long time. Not really with me, but from my wife's childhood. And she's like, hangs out. So my wife has always told me, watch out, be careful. Cindy's got her eye on you. Like, you know, don't misbehave or do the right thing and stuff. So this doll has become so real. It's fixated in my psyche that it's just one day I thought it would be interesting if she sort of came to life. Now she's a doll, you know, she doesn't have eyes. She's eyeless. And she looks inward, from what I'm told, looks into what? Her soul, her whatever. When you look inward, I've been doing research from the mystics going way back to the Kabbalah. When they search for their soul, the soul really is everywhere. But when a, an eyeless doll said, look inward, so I just extrapolated that to think, well, maybe she's looking for your soul, or maybe she's guarding over your soul. So, you know, through the process, Cindy can't say she came to life, but maybe she did. Or she's in a different metaverse, maybe, or she's a time traveler, or she's a spirit, or all the above. But it was a journey where she took this journey with me, and she protects us. She knows the past, so she can see the future. And when she seems to say something, I hear her. Even though she can't speak, I know what she's saying. I know what she's thinking. And she has a feeling or I know when she has an issue. It just comes to me. So one thing led to another, and she's like, she's taken over. I'm not going to let her take over, but she thinks she's taken over everything. She's trying to run the show and uh, tell us what to do, but we'll see how far she gets. I don't know. I mean, she's got to really prove herself, and I have to see her in action. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Another part of that I want to bring up, I'm always interested to know in books, fiction books, where the names come from. And we don't have to go on a lot of names, but in this book, in this chapter, I should say, the name Cassie, who obviously we know Cassie in my childhood, but Cassie is brought to life. Bringing that name out, Cassie, why in this book? Well, Cassie is, maybe she's a spirit also, but she, unfortunately, passed away. She was a golden retriever who was a huge part of our lives and my kids growing up. So, you know, very warm feeling in my heart and I thought it would be appropriate to have a character named Cassie. And Cassie, you'll find out, turns out to be Avra. And Avra is the Hebrew name of my wife. So one thing led to another, and everything's connected and interconnected. And there's a root, R-O-O-T, and a root, R-O-U-T-E. And so everything goes round and round, and who knows where we're going. Yeah. One last part I want to bring up is during the editing process, the word no thing 
versus nothing came up. You had different feedback. So you can take this as what happened with a specific edit in regards to no thing versus nothing. But there are no rules in editing that we learned and that you learned in this process. There's no rules in writing, I should say. But specifically, maybe to no thing and nothing, how you dealt with that as you had different feedback from different editors. Right. You know, there are no rules. You have no boundaries. There are no limitations. I have a strong feeling for physics, as I said earlier in the book. And I've read a lot of books about trying to imagine not only nothing, like there's nothing there. Well, you know, you go out and they rip down a building and there's nothing left. Well, my nothing is really no thing. Like trying to imagine space and time with there's nothing. Like what happens at the end of the universe? Is there no thing? Is there like a vacuum that goes on? And if you think about no thing, it sort of makes you breathless. It hurts your brain when you think about no thing. There's not an object. There's not a grain of sand. There's not a breath of air. There's not a star in the sky. So what's after? What comes after the end of the Milky Way, of the universe, and all the other galaxies? Is there an ending? Or does it just go on and on? Well, if you imagine no thing, try to imagine that at like four in the morning when you're thinking about something else, and all of a sudden you try to fall asleep. And you can't because maybe there's nothing out there. But it's more emphatic for me to say no thing. I have my last question in regards to this chapter, the last line, the decision to go is a no-brainer. In conversations I've had over the last couple of years with you know, ex-military combat veterans, they talked about never having all of the information. So Stephen, he's obviously well-trained in military. And there's clearly a lot of decisions. He sees a beautiful woman that he seems to be maybe possibly falling for right at this time. The decision to go is a no-brainer, but at the same time, nothing seems to be a no-brainer for him in this moment as well. How is Stephen, perhaps as you write Stephen's character, how is he coming to this decision to say that it is a no-brainer? Because I've heard the concept of you'll never have all the information. You have 70% of the information. That's the max you might ever get to and you make the best decision you can make with that information. So maybe this isn't a question in regards to Stephen, but just maybe in regards to decision-making and also deciding how to end a chapter and move on to the next part of the story. Well, Army Rangers and Mossad agents and all the other special forces are trained. They go through all the you know minutiae of doing this and doing that and having to respond, and they have all the protocols and what to do, and they train. But in the moment of action, when a millisecond will either save your life or save the life of your buddy next to you, your inner workings make that decision. But but Stephen, as you'll see, sometimes is governed by what's hanging between his legs. So he has immediately fallen in love with Avril, and she has the ability to press his buttons, turn them on, or whatever you want to call it. So when all this is said and done, when things are blowing up, and the world seems like it's coming to an end, these explosions and raining terror from drones. <laughs> what drives him, like, finally to make the decision is how he feels about Avra. He's not going to let her go. He's going with her no matter where she goes. Chapter 38. Everything will be okay. Tom Fouts from Home Free. The Black Entourage of Death halts, and a fearsome oddball combination sumo wrestler freaking Islamic terrorist emerges. A head-shaved, 300-pound Schwarzenegger parades toward me with a Russian Sega 12. 
the latest and greatest automatic killing machine. Arnold continues his monster walk like he really thinks he possesses the upper hand. Probably does. Now about 50 yards away with the caravan slowly picking up the rear, he raises his weapon and I can feel the laser burning a hole in my forehead. The intensity is blinding like the high beams of a truck coming at me at midnight. Wow, look serious, Cindy, I whisper. Stevie boy, got you covered. Relax your bones, she seems to say. Like magic, there's a flash of light and Schwarzenegger's skull explodes, vanishes. Incredulously, he just stands there not knowing what to do. Blood shoots in the air from the headless body. His life sprang out. Then he collapses like the pile of shit he is. An angel from heaven appears at my side, oozing in hand sexually straddling her military-equipped Indian motorcycle as if she's making love with it. Oh my God, it's Cassie from the cafe. Now she's a gorgeous female combo version of Rambo G.I. Jane, wearing black combat fatigues. She just saved my life. What the hell is going on? Been protecting you, Stephen, she affirms. We are in this together. Protecting? What the fuck? I gasp with astonishment. Why are you here, Cassie? Have you been following me? Shh, wait just a second, she says, holding up her palm to me as bullets are flying everywhere. She whispers Hebrew into her wrist. Wow, that's Hebrew for do it. A shooting star, brighter than anything I've ever seen, bursts down from its home in heaven, seeking out justice. The entourage disappears into a fireball, puff like the magic dragon, gone, except for black smoke and a grotesque SUV carcasses. The sound and concussion blow us backward, ribs vibrating, eardrums pounding. Told you so, big boy, Cindy proudly declares. How did she know? This eyeless doll apparently knows everything. Do it again, Cassie utters in Hebrew into her device and motions for me to cover my ears. Too late. Immediately, a second strike, even more catastrophic, disintegrates everything. Now total annihilation. Try to imagine no thing. No space, time, or mass. Cassie, who are you? What's going on, I ask. My name is not Cassie. It's Avra. From the cafe? What the fuck? We're partners, she declares very simply. Partners in what? Why should I trust you? Who was that guy in the corner of the restaurant? I'm starting to get annoyed. Relax, all good. You and Cindy are with friends. You are home, she says calmly. Stephen, we need to get out of here immediately. These dudes were turds, not their best. Elite Iranian troops are out there pointing to the mountains and surrounding forest. Shit, how does she know Cindy? Nothing makes sense. Get your cute little ass on my motorcycle, she orders. You're a ranger, act like one. We need your expertise. Stop staring at my tits. She walks over to me with her lips almost touching mine, gazing into my eyes. She emanates heat. Then she slaps me. Get a hold of yourself, Stephen. Do you realize that if we stay here, we will die, she asks? then your mission will surely fail. Everything you've done so far will have been in vain. Do you understand me? We need to leave right now. Everything is spinning out of control. Don't know if it's Jabber's death, an eyeless doll talking to me, or the massive explosions that reverberated through my brain. Things seem upside down, but most importantly, I have a mission to complete. Need to find the facilitator and secure the Russian defector. Can't leave now and abandon the operation. Hurry up, she screams. The French go berserk when shit hits their soil. 
It's impossible to conceal two drone strikes. We certainly don't need them coming after us. Not fully comprehending the enormity of the situation. I just stand there. Everything is happening so fast. One minute, this breathtaking creature was a waitress I drooled over and now dressed in her sexy military fatigues. She's directing drones to rain terror from the skies. She wants me to go with her. Go where? What happened to your fucking French accent? Who? Who are you? I am Israeli. Listen to me, Stephen. We're leaving now, together, on my racer. Israeli? What the fuck? Can't leave. Need to find the facilitator. I'll get court-martialed for sure. Don't worry, she tells me with supreme confidence. Hop on the cycle and get ready for the ride of your life. It's the fastest son of a bitch you've ever been on. I'll explain everything later. Promise. This has all been planned. Planned? What plan? What does she mean? Stunned. Again, she walks over. But this time, she doesn't have to slap me. I don't need slapping because my enormous hard-on perks me up. Avra's tits gently caress my chest as her lips move to my ear and she purrs. I am the facilitator. The decision to go is a no-brainer.